Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. We find out about how small things like bacteria and worms can have big impacts on creatures. Now, pandas are a pretty special creature, but their gut microbiota is actually doing a lot of work helping them survive, even though they have a pretty limited diet. Plus, we find out how some of the scariest things around, tarantulas, actually have something else to fear, something tiny and cause them a lot of problems. It's related to Jeff Daniels. Many people want to be remembered, immortalised in history for some grand achievement or maybe just remembered by their friends or family. Acknowledgement of people's existence is part of what keeps cultures going. But when people become certain professions, like say, actors, well, they're trying to be remembered for their great work on screen or on stage. And that's normally what these people get into their particular line of work or craft of. Trying to create incredible performances in something that moves you in a way to create a piece of art that you'll remember and immortalizes their name. Now, the film from 1990, Arachnophobia. Well, that's not necessarily a piece of art that many people would have thought as being worthy of immortalization. In fact, one of the main actors in that, Jeff Daniels, well, he's gone on to do a lot better things than that particular film. But in that film, Jeff Daniels' character saves the town from a deadly infestation of spiders in an action movie monster thriller. And this kind of thing is a pretty amazing movie as a schlock type of monster horror type film. And there's plenty of those. Snakes on a plane, the Megalodon, Sharknado, this kind of thing. Not necessarily something that an artist, of course, well, would have wanted to attach their name on forever. But of course, this sometimes is what happens. Because a bunch of scientists from University of California, Riverside, have just published in the paper Journal of Parasitology. Something that immortalizes Jeff Daniels in a way that he himself found particularly confusing. And what they have done is actually named a new species of nematode after Jeff Daniels. And this nematode is pretty amazing. And it has a lot in common with Jeff Daniels' character in the film Arachnophobia. After all, this type of nematode actually hunts and kills tarantulas. That in and of itself is probably just as worthy of a movie. Killer worms that hunt spiders is a pretty good thing. And when Jeff Daniels first heard of this new species and it named after him, he said, why? Is there a resemblance? But he was honestly honoured by their homage to arachnophobia. And he stated, and of course in Hollywood you haven't really made it until you've been recognised by those in the field of parasitology. Now, what these researchers, who just published the paper in the journal Parasitology, including Jacob Schurkman, Carl Inesco, Jochen Abulafia, Irma Tantian Del Ley, and Alda Dillman, have been studying a really, really unusual type of nematode. Nematodes in general are pretty amazing, because often they're, you know, self-fertilizing hermaphrodites that produce their own sperm and eggs. And in particular, this type of nematode computes around 160 babies in a lifespan. Now that lifespan isn't very long. It's around 11 days, but that's still a very large output. And the discovery of this particular species took 
the researchers some time to really identify exactly what was going on in this case. Way back in September 2019, a wholesale tarantula breeder, and yes, these exist because people do buy tarantulas as pets and not just for films as well, contacted the researchers, including Dillman, to help identify a strange new infection that had started to overtake the tarantulas. Now, the specimens that were sent out to the lab to be analysed had odd white mass around their mouth. Something was getting into their mouths and then leading to some pretty strange behaviour. Now, of course, Dillman, who teaches the only parasitology class at UCR, was actually the only one to immediately recognise those white areas as the presence of nematodes. Now, previously scientists have found the first types of nematodes that can live on tarantulas, but they only examined the worms themselves, not the worms as they were found on the spiders. Because nematodes, as they started to chow down on the spiders, in particular Tarantobelis jeffdanielsi, this specific breed, they had to infect the mouth of the tarantula first. But once they've done this, the spiders started to act strange because the tarantulas then started to begin walk around like they were on their tiptoes and not really eating, well, obviously, because their mouth is starting to be infected. Then they lost controls of their appendages and their fangs also stopped working. And this took months because tarantulas don't actually have to eat that often. So the fact that they lose their mouth can lead to the infection spreading and spreading and spreading. And with the life cycle of this nematode only being around 11 days, then it doesn't take long for the nematodes to become pretty well entrenched on the tarantula itself. With the tarantula slowly and slowly losing more and more of its functions as this worm takes over. We talked about a horror movie at the start here, Arachnophobia, where the spiders take over a town. But the horror movie is happening to this particular spider when the worms take over it removing its ability to control its appendages, removing its ability to feed. Now, it's not clear how long these nematodes managed to survive, but certainly more than one or two life cycles of them. And they're slowly just chowing down on the tarantula, paralyzing their organs and even the ones that control their fangs, removing the ability for their nerves to functions. This kind of parasitic behavior where the parasite just completely destabilizes the host so they can better eat it, is really, really terrifying. And it's true that nematodes have been around for hundreds of millions of years, and they can infect pretty much every kind of host on the planet, including humans. And, you know, a nematode exists probably out there that can infect every creature on the planet. But in this case, the Tarantobelis jeff Danielsi is a perfectly designed killing machine for chomping down on and chowing down on an already scary killer of a tarantula. So like Jeff Daniels' character in the movie Arachnophobia, which hunts tarantulas and saves the town from infection, well, the tarantulas themselves are hunted by these tiny nematodes, which can cause a pretty damaging and devastating total collapse of the tarantula itself. This is research published in the journal Parasitology by researchers Shirkman, Inesco, Abolisphere, Tanigan, Thielay, and Dillman.
Now it's almost time for March Mammal Madness, and one of my least favourite creatures in all of the March Mammal Madness history is of course the worst bear, the panda bear. Now pandas, giant pandas, are a pretty amazing species, but they do things that are really strange. They're reluctant breeders, they eat food that's strange and not necessarily good for them, and they have just generally habits that make it pretty conducive to just disappearing and dying off. So it's a struggle for conservationists trying to keep these species alive when they don't really have much of an instinct of self-preservation. But giant pandas nevertheless are still absolutely fascinating because they manage to do things that don't quite often make sense. For example, they feed almost exclusively on bamboo, bamboo being filled with lots of fibre. And yet somehow they still manage to stay really chubby and healthy in size despite eating nothing but this really fibrous and tough bamboo. So how is it possible? And this is what researchers the Institute of Zoology and the Chinese Academy of Sciences have been diving into, and just published in a paper in Cell Reports. Now, first author on this paper was Guan Ping Huang, along with a research team led by Fu Wenfei and a large list of collaborators. And what these researchers were trying to understand is how pandas manage to eat so much and get so much nutrition that enables them to gain more and more weight and store more fat even though they're eating something that often has not much nutrients. Especially in seasons where there's only the bamboo leaves to chew on themselves, rather than the stalk. So this is a really strange type of behaviour. These pandas are able to eat on all of this bamboo, and yet still build weight and mass. This is really surprising because in certain types of the growing season, you don't really have much there on the bamboo for them to thrive off. So what the researchers looked into was how the panda ate the food and then what happened inside the panda's gut microbiota and its phenotype. Now, pandas have been known to have different types of gut microbiota during the different seasons. During the shoot eating season, where they're eating the shoots, they have a very different gut microbiota to what appears later on. And other animals have a similar thing. They have a seasonal shift in their gut bacteria as a result of changes in food availability. For example, certain species of monkeys have different gut microbiota in summer when they get to eat lots of fresh leaves and fruits, which is very different to what they have in the winter when they feed primarily on bark. You can see this even in people, it's particularly in the Hudster people, who are Chamonica hunter-gatherers in Tanzania, and as the availability of their food changes, so does their gut microbiota. There's examples of how what you eat changes what you are, or at least what you are in your gut. And these bamboo being consumed in the different stages of the life cycle of the bamboo also leads to a similar change. So the researchers went to wild giant pandas living in the Quingling Mountains in central China, and they stayed there, there for decades. Now, for most times of the year, these animals feed on the fibrous bamboo leaves, but during late spring and early summer, they get to enjoy and chow down on the newly sprouted bamboo shoots. Now, these bamboo shoots are super rich, comparatively, in protein. Now, when they look at the gut microbiota of these pandas, what they see is that they have a higher level of a bacterium called Clostridium butyricum in their gut during the shoot-eating season. This is in the spring and early summer where they're able to chow down on these protein-rich shoots. And in the leaf-eating season, the rest of the year effectively, this prevalence of this particular bacteria species just really drops off. 
Now, what they wanted to see is, does the change in this particular gut microbiota actually change the panda's metabolism? So, to test this, they performed a way of altering the gut microbiota, which can be done through fecal transplant. Basically, they get panda feces collected in the wild, and then they transfer them to germ-free mice. They then watch when the mice get fed a similar-based diet to see, simulate basically what the panda eats for three weeks and see if they actually have any change in the metabolism. And the researchers found that the mice transplanted with the panda feces in the shoot-eating season, i.e. the one with a large amount of this Clostridium botrytisium bacteria, gained a lot more weight and more fat into the bodies from eating the shoots. When compared to mice that had a gut microbiome or gut tra fecal transplant from the leaf-eating season, the impact of the bacteria basically boosted the pandas, and in this case the mice models, metabolism, enabling them to produce more fat and store more fat in their bodies as a result of eating the shoots compared to the ones who didn't have that particular bacteria in prison. And it's believed that the metabolic byproduct of the C. Botrytium called botyrate could unregulate the expression of a certain circadian rhythm gene called PER2. This increases lipid synthesis and storage. So by the seasonal change in the gut microbe of the panda, helps them synchronize certain regulation of the lipid metabolism, basically meaning that by having this bacterium present in their gut, they're ready to make the best use of those shoots and really build fat storage from eating that small amount of extra protein in that one season. Now, of course, these are wild pandas. So they can't run tests on them directly, so they have to rely on these nice models, which, of course, have their own weaknesses. But it's really important because it helps researchers understand the impact that microbiota can have on all kinds of creatures. So they want to map out more organisms in the panda's gut and find out what all of their roles they play, knowing now that just one of these can help these panda build huge amounts of body mass and fat, which they need to survive the other seasons. And it's important because we often think of bacteria as just a bad thing, but our gut microbiota is incredibly important because it offers benefits and seasonal benefits at that that help enable creatures to not only survive, but also thrive in certain environments. And if this balance gets lost somehow, well, you could use this as a way to treat and help them recover. It also can be used to develop probiotics to help identify the boosts that can be given in regulation of certain genes from the microbiota and how they can be used to boost certain outcomes. This is a great example of how studying and understanding how nature does certain things, in this case, pandas in the wild, and how their optimized system for eating the different seasons of the year involves changes inside of their stomachs. Now, they're probably not aware of this. They've just always done this. But this is how the whole ecosystem of the body needs to be considered. As we learn more and more about gut microbiota, we know that they can have such a huge role to play. This is some fascinating research published in the journal Cell Reports with lead author Guanping Huang under the direction of lead researcher for Win Wei. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. From a tiny nematode that can cause devastating effects on a tarantula to how gut microbiota can help pandas survive despite having a pretty limited... Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia. <laughs>